1: We're we going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. And the last time we were in Isaiah chapter 10, and I titled the message, This is going to hurt. Uh, if you weren't here, you can get it for free. But basically, it, it, listen, the Israelites were going through a very dark time. And the Israelites brought on, and when I say the Israelites, I mean the northern and the southern kingdom. They brought on a lot of their own problems. And we do that today too. And we need the Lord's help because. Even as saved Christians, we still sin and we still get caught up in a pattern of foolishness. And we just, we need his help to just kind of break, change the channel, repent, um, and move on. But they were going through a really difficult time. uh, And here in chapter 11, the message is the Messiah won't be delayed. And it's, you can see the difficulties of God's people in this entire 66 chapter book, but you also see sprinkled in with it is the message of encouragement because they needed that encouragement. You know, God's a God of love. And even though He has the discipline and He has to sometimes allow us to go our own way into foolish things because we have that free will, He's always there for when we're ready to turn around and say, okay, Lord, I got it. I got the message. I'm ready to come back to you. So if we could put up the timeline. So the blessing here is that we're talking basically events that happened somewhere in the 700 BC type of area, maybe right around here. The Assyrians, Assyrians were evading, invading Syria and the Northern Kingdom. Then they harassed the Southern Kingdom. Then around the 6th century BC, the Babylonians came in and really harassed and attacked the Southern Kingdom. And then what happens is, it, when all seems lost... And you've been there, maybe on a lesser scale, maybe not as bad as what they were doing. When all hope seems lost, the Lord provides his long-awaited Messiah. And I think the miracle was at a time where people might have thought, this is never going to happen at this point. So somewhere in the first century, right, Christ comes. The Messiah won't be delayed. Now, in addition to that, because we are, right, we are, Right around in this area, so we're in 2017, Um, I don't know how close we are to the Lord's second coming, false teachers predict dates, I don't do that, but at some point the Lord is going to come back again and set up this incredible millennial reign on the earth, and that's going to be a glorious time. So... What the prophet does, God speaking to the prophet, he's encouraging the Israelites. And here's the amazing thing, is that they're looking, remember 700 BC roughly, they're looking forward to the Messiah. We are so blessed. We look back because we know the Messiah came. We're just on a different point in the timeline, that's all. So we look back. Now the really neat thing is the Israelites and and us, we're actually going to both look forward to the Lord's second coming. So some of these things you're going to say, oh yeah, I get that. I I know the story about Jesus. I, I read the Bible. And then some of the things you're going to be like, hmm, can you explain that a little further and hopefully I do a good job. So we're going to look at this in five parts. Jumping into verse one, it says, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse was King David's father and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So the first out of five is the coming Messiah. Context is so important. False teachers take the Bible way out of context because they don't tell you what happened prior to their messed up verses that they're throwing you and saying it means this. But context tells us that in chapter 10, God was referring to prideful men, be it the Assyrians, some of the Israelites, some of those from Judah, as these tall, massive trees. We went into the trees of Lebanon, and God said, I'm just going to have to cut down some trees and leave a forest full of stumps. And that was his way of, everybody got a little bit of humble pie in that time. The Assyrians got some humble pie, the Northern Kingdom, the Southern Kingdom, and the Syrians got some humble pie as well. So if you're in the southern kingdom, you're thinking, "Ugh, how's the Messiah going to come?" Why? Because all the way back in Genesis 49:10, all the way back, right, many years before this portion that we're covering, is it told the Israelites that the Messiah would come from the line of Judah. Hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, the time he would come, the family he would be born into. I mean, just endless. The political climate. Genesis 49:10 is one of those. That speaks about not only the political climate but that the Messiah would come from the line of Judah, which it was jesse you know, 's grandfather 's grandfather 's grandfather's you know up the patriarchal line, so you had Judah and then you had down 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 you had Jesse, then you had David, you had the the kings of 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 Jerusalem, and then eventually Jesus was in that line so just to give you a little background of what 's going on here, we talked about the basal shoots right and uh, horticulture or vegetation. How you can cut down a tree, leave a stump, right? This is this, um, this uh, metaphor that he's using, and I've seen it at my house. You give it enough time, these little shoots grow up from the stump. You think it's dead, but the life is in the roots. And then they start to grow flowers, and they can start to grow a tree again if you wait enough time. Pretty amazing. So in the natural world, we know that something can grow out of the stump. We talked about this in Isaiah 6. But we also know spiritually that the Messiah was going to come out of an apparent deadness of Judah. I mean, when God uses a metaphor, Jesus did this with the parables. They're so perfect. You can just take that metaphor apart piece by piece by piece and find all these analogies that I'm missing. But basically, God was saying, don't worry, the Messiah is coming. Just because everything looks bleak, have hope. Have hope. Um, and, And this is what happened. When all seemed lost, the Messiah comes right in the middle of the Roman occupation about 600 years later. And I got to tell you, some, in my life at times, when things are just going bad left and right, your life too, when all hope seems lost, God is your God. And He can lift you out of those doldrums. He can do an amazing thing in your life, just like He did with them. So you have this, this rod or this branch emerging from something, and it it looked like that it was dead. So here was another hint, if you want to take another analogy, to the observant Jews of the first century. He wasn't going to come the first time as a conquering Messiah. He will the second time, but he wouldn't the first time. He would come as one of them little basil shoots that come out of a dead root system, right? So here he came, the first century, in humility. So much stuff in here. Verse 2, we continue... um, Some call this the sevenfold Spirit of the Lord, or the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. There's not seven Holy Spirits, but there's there's layers of characteristics of who the person of the Holy Spirit is. So 600 years later, keeping with the triune nature, we see that Jesus, the Son, was on the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit, in communication with the Father. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And seven is a number of perfection or completion. So, let's look at this. A, the Spirit of the Lord. You might say, duh, the Spirit of the Lord. Well, not so fast. We live in a culture where there's hundreds, thousands of people that are spiritual. When somebody says, I'm spiritual, I say, oh, does that mean you are a believer? You know the Word? No, I'm just open to and that's the problem just like just like Arnie was talking about the Ouija boards and there's a lot of spirituality out there you know I mean Oprah Winfrey has millions of people that follow her and she claims to be very spiritual has these spiritual people on her show but I've heard with her own mouth I've seen the videos of her denying that Christ is the only way so guess what she does not have the Spirit of the Lord nor do many people on television but they're spiritual. So this is very important that we get this down before we go through the rest of them. The spirit of wisdom. Jesus' counsel was and is always perfect. You look at anything He said in the Scripture, 2,000 years later, it applies. There's nothing that we can say, oh, Jesus said this, and seriously, challenge me. Come, write your questions down, ask me. I'd love to go through it with you. Um, Also, the spirit of understanding. He is an understanding God. This actual word in the Hebrew indicates a sharp sense of smell. In other words, you can tell something that's fresh from something that's rotten. God knows everything. You know, we can't see through people's faces, through their minds. God always sees the heart. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He knows who's genuine. He knows who's not. I think the best part of this, though, is the spirit of understanding is He understands us. Listen, I'm 50 years old, I don't completely understand myself. You know, I'll do things or I'll say things and I'll be like, why did I do that? Why did I feel that way? You know, And I analyze myself, you know what I'm saying? But they say that uh, it's very healthy when you talk to yourself. Joe, just want you to know that. <laughs> so if you do that too, it's apparently a form of being healthy. It's a lot better than just going through life thinking that you're perfect and you don't question anything you do. Those are the people that frighten me because they just kind of think that they're always right and, you know, so, all right, let's move off of that. But the, the cool thing is that, you know, you might be in this church thinking, just struggling with life. And, you, you know, you, there's a lot of things you don't understand, uh, uh, even about your own path or where you are right now. God understands you, you know? Turn to Him. Why are we so stubborn? It took me 26 years to finally turn to Him. But once I did, I'm like, man, I should have done this sooner. Uh, the spirit of counsel. When you look at His Word, His counsel is something you can always count on. Listen, when you when you counsel with a pastor or an elder or someone in that position, you should expect that what they say to you is going to come from God's Word. That counsel needs to be there needs to be a foundation in God's Word. Otherwise, it's just worldly counsel. There's, I don't know, close to 8 billion people on the planet, and everybody has a different opinion about things. So, what's right? You know, we live in an age of pluralism. There's got to be one truth. Truth can't be fractured and and antagonistic to itself. You know, Um, the spirit of, of might, the spirit of power. Now, we're talking about the Messiah, we're talking about Christ, we're talking about his second coming, we're also speaking about his first coming. He did a lot of amazing things when he was here. He raised the dead, he said he was going to raise himself from the dead. You know, he opened the eyes of the blind. He definitely had power. He definitely had might. You know, when they went to arrest him in the garden and they said, "Where is Jesus?" He said, "I am he." He probably said "Yod He Vav I am." And the guards fell down. You know what I'm saying? He just gave him a little taste of what he could do, although he knew he had to go to the cross. Right? The guy who Peter cut his ear off in the garden thinking he was going to save Jesus. And Jesus says, permit this. And he puts his ear back on. And he, you would think at that point they might have let him go. But uh, they didn't. <laughs> but he has power. And we tap into that power as believers. That's available to us. And I think one of the greatest blessings is the power to change. You know, in our culture, we tend to want to change everybody around us so that we could feel better. We want to change our circumstances. But God gives us the power to change ourselves. The attitudes that hold us down, the dysfunctions, the habits, the addictions. He gives us the power to change. We also have the power to pray. And I think it's sad because, and I've I've heard it said, I've been in church for, you know, Bible-believing church for some 20-something years, and then before that, denominational churches and You know, Sometimes the attitude is this ho-hum attitude. Oh, we can just pray. Okay, let's talk about what prayer is. You actually are now focused on the living God and you're communicating with Him and you're trying to get things done and you're trying to do His will and this is God we're talking about who created everything. Does that change the perspective a little bit? Oh, it's just a prayer service. Maybe I won't go tonight. Oh, they're just having a prayer night. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We're actually had a great results for our uh, prayer and healing service. We're going to have another one on December 20th. It's a Wednesday night, so bring your friends, bring your family, bring anybody who's going through something, even emotionally, just bring them into the church, and we'll see what the Lord does. We continue, the spirit of knowledge, spirit of knowledge, now, very different from what the academics want to talk about when it comes to knowledge. You know, I went to Rutgers, I got a four-year degree, you know, I'm an educated person, I got the, somewhere in my house there's a degree that I passed, and you know, they put the stamp on it, but in eternity it's not going to mean anything. You know what I'm saying? Um, I've learned a lot of things over the years, I've gotten a lot of awards and academic honors, but you know what? It doesn't mean anything, (laughs) because it's only limited to this world. When we are brought into the next life, and the reformulated kingdom, as I'm going to go through some of this stuff, it's kind of funny. It talks about the, the animals, you know, the ar- herbivores and the carnivores not at enmity with each other. We're, we're going to cover that here. But m- the degrees about biology and a- animal husbandry are not going to apply then. We're like, what the heck's happening? How's that? Why is the bear and the lion eating hay when they should be eating flesh? So remember, academics is good. It's good to learn things. This, but the spirit of knowledge goes far beyond that. And I think the blessing for me is that, and I say this in a, uh, in a very positive way, sometimes a person will come into my office for counsel and I already know what the issue is before they start talking. Or I already know what the solution is. Not because I'm brilliant, but because the Lord helped me to help that person that came into my office. Spirit of knowledge. Great. And then lastly, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now this takes people aback. Fear of the Lord. Okay, does, does it sound better going down if it's reverence or respect? Because we live in a very disrespectful culture. You know, when you got kids of all ages and all geographical places that are beating up, you know, World War II veterans or beating up their elderly parents or whatever the case may be, this is a a culture of severe disrespect. There's some videos that that pop up on Facebook, I can't even open them. I click the little button that says hide. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see that. I already know what's going to happen. But this is the culture that we live in. People don't respect each other. It's very sad. However, the Bible says that one day, everyone who's ever lived will bow the knee at the sight of the Lord, right? And confess that Jesus is Lord. I choose to do it now out of adoration. Some will do it later out of obligation. Resist, 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 resist. Eventually, your knee's going to bow. Trust me, it's happening (laughs) because the Bible said it's going to happen. Okay, continuing on, verse 3, I love this. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. Now, understand the, the wording here. Um, Lord, sometimes was all capital, sometimes was L was capital, lowercase. You've got to understand how the, the Bible writers took the Hebrew and they uh, made the word, it's, it sounds like the same word to us, but there was different things behind us behind it. So when the son was on the earth, uh, and he was speaking about his reaction to the Lord, it was speaking about the father. So the father and son kind of reaction there. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now, again, it's my job, knowing the scripture, you, you might say, well, wait, whoa, 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 is this the first? And that's the questions. Are we talking about the first coming? Are we talking about the second coming? Are we talking about the bo- both? Um, the answer is D, all the above. Because <laughs> what happens is, the way his demeanor, the way he was righteous, the way he dealt with everyone fairly, first and second coming, the part about him striking the earth, we're going to get to that later. That's his second coming. So verses 3 to 5, Jesus showed that it was his delight to do what? It was his delight to do the Father's will. And folks, that should be a priority among Christians. got—you know Pastor Paul touched on it. We don't compare notes, and I love it when different teachers come up and... I'm like, oh man, that's in my notes. Now they're going to think I stole it from Pastor Paul. But, <laughs> but it's, it's just the Holy Spirit. I didn't tell him this. Uh, but I was thinking the same thing that he was thinking too about Black Friday, and he showed some videos which were pretty funny. But in Thanksgiving, you know, we, we're so thankful for everything that the Lord has given us on Black Friday, but for those things that he didn't give me that he really wanted, I'm going to stay up all night <laughs> in line or I'm going to get up at four in the morning. And then we go into the Christmas season, which I got to be honest with you, I'm not a fan of this season. You might say, what? You heretic. Let, let me explain that. I'm not a fan of this season in the, what it's become. The commercialization, the attitudes, the stress, the loneliness, all these kind of things. Um, I, I'm loving the season when I can have the opportunity to tell people what the real reason for the season is. But Christmas has become like the greed season. And it's sad. It's really sad, because the question is, how many of us are delighted like Jesus to do the will of the Father? Right? Jesus in John chapter four said to his disciples, when they came back and they brought him some food, he goes, he basically said, "My food is to do the will of the Father." Can we say that? You know, I mean, even churchgoers sometimes our will is to do our will. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is God. I pray about. You know, we can do all that and we can deceive ourselves. That's why it's good to have others around us that can kind of just say to us, you know, you're, you're really going the wrong way. We can have a path for our life, a vision, a future, and put the little postage stamp and say, oh, I prayed about it. Don't question me about it. It's good. Are we really doing the Lord's will or are we doing our own will? Right? Verse 3 to 5, the Messiah's righteous judgment and justice. It says that he would not judge basically according to his eyes and according to his ears. And that's what sinful human flesh does. And sometimes the complaint, and you know, I've been through dozens of churches, I feel like I'm judged when I go to church. Okay. You know, I, I wouldn't want to feel that way either. I wouldn't want to be dressed down because of the shirt I'm wearing or because of the style of my mustache or because of the color of my skin or, or because of the way I talk. Maybe I have um, you know, idiosyncrasies with my speech. And... People don't like to be judged. With The way Jesus judged was he doesn't care how your voice sounds. He made your voice. He doesn't care what you look like. He made you. <laughs> he cares about your heart. And that's what I love about Jesus is that he's, he's going to be the quintessential politician. And I, I use that word sparingly. He's going to rule the world from Jerusalem. So in a sense, he's a politician, but he's not voted in. He's just going to come and take the throne and depose all the other corrupt rulers. I I can't wait. I, I don't have faith in the UN. I think it's very corrupt. There's a lot of pay to play in New Jersey. You guys know this. The payoffs, the political favors. I'm looking forward to the Lord coming in his millennial kingdom, and he's the king. And he'll put the people, mayors or governors, if he's going to do that, where he wants them. I keep asking and praying for a nice spot on the Mediterranean, but if he, that's up to him. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure a lot of people have that request that are better than me, but that's, that's what I'm looking for. It's the warm, balmy weather. And All right, we'll just move on. Living off the land. Okay. So it, it's really kind of neat, but he, he's going to, it says, to judge the poor. From the poor all the way to the rich. He's going to judge them with equal justice under the law. And that's what we're supposed to have in this country, but you you know things change. There's political issues, there's financial issues, uh, but this is going to be great. Verse 4, he speaks about, again, I covered this because this is striking, no pun intended. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. There's other scriptures that are very similar to this. Revelation nineteen, when the Lord in his second coming comes down to earth riding on a, a beautiful white horse. Uh, Revelation nineteen fifteen, quote, it says, Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. Second Corinthians two, eight, Pastor Vinny's taking up first and second Corinthians. Uh, But if we look at that scripture regarding the Antichrist, the global leader who's going to have a a tight fist on the world's economy and banking and and political system, um, it says regarding the Antichrist, the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. And people ask me again, and I'm not trying to take the easy way out, is this literal or is it figurative? Again, my answer is both. Yes, just like in the first century, people were like they saw Jesus like multiply loaves and fish to stop the storms of the sea. I mean, that was amazing. Maybe before that, the Jews in the previous centuries might have said, what is the Messiah going to be like? Will he do supernatural things? Will he really do this? Like, we're questioning about the second ju- uh, coming. And then everyone in the first century saw, wow, there is no end to his power. Even the, 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 the sea and the weather obey his commands. So I believe that, yes, there will be supernatural manifestations, but also his demeanor his demeanor will be a demeanor of, of confidence, of power, of completeness, but also righteousness. All those things wrapped up together. It's going to be a sight to see. I'm looking forward to it. Verse 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. These are opposites. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, not in his belly, but next to him. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Becomes a, he becomes an herbivore. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So two out of five is the millennial kingdom, our future, as it relates to nature. Now I love this because I'm an animal lover. I always said if, if I died, um, my wife would have like 30 cats in the house and all the stray dogs. And I mean, I love animals, but eventually it's, it's expensive to feed them all. Uh, so that being aside, you look at this Basically, animals today, for the most part, the larger animals, are divided up into two categories, right? They're predators or they're prey, right? The predators have eyes most, most of the time in front of their face. Prey have more of a panoramic view, deer, horse, etc., and their eyes are further out to the sides. Um, the predators are carnivores. The prey are herbivores. Uh, the predators sleep long hours. They say lions can sleep like 12 to 16 hours a day. What a life, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and <laughs> unfortunately for the, the prey, they're hypervigilant. They don't sleep a whole lot. They usually sleep very vigilant about somebody coming up behind them. And all this apparently took place, this is fascinating, after the fall of mankind, after the sin of man. Because Adam was naming the animals. He was, they were like companions to him you know who knows but since the fall of man sadly enough all that's changed in genesis 9 actually verses 2 through 3 the bible tells us that god actually put fear of man into the animals now aside from domesticated animals you know a lot of us have pets that for the most part you go out into the wild animals are afraid of you right they see you and the deer you see them all the time they bounce bounce it is amazing how they i just like stop and watch them they go through the thickets and they They go up so high. They're like, it's amazing what God did with the animals. But I believe that the fear of man put into the animals was so that they wouldn't be effortless prey for us. Because man is a a bloodthirsty creature. Not only does man try to dominate man, but he also tries to dominate the animal kingdom. So God gave them, I guess you could say, a fighting chance. Okay, But when Christ returns, um, all that is going to change, which I'm looking forward to. i got to be honest with you, a little bit about myself. Um, when, I, when I read about the bullfighter who gets, gets gored by the bull, I'm not really sad for him, because I think it's a horrible thing what they do to these bulls. Uh, so when people are abusing animals and the animal gets them back, I'm, I'm the guy who's cheering for the animal. Just saying. <laughs> so, so what the Bible says is that when in his second coming, animals will chill with other animals and they'll be the same with us. Romans 8 tells us, and there's so much to Romans 8, and you can read it on your own, verses 19 through 22, that creation, because of sin, was subject to futility. So when mankind fell, the curse of sin affected the natural kingdom as well. And that the creation groans to be delivered from this bondage of decay. So in some way, maybe it's an anthropomorphism, but... That the creation is, is just crying out for the Lord to come back too because it doesn't like the state that it's in. It's fascinating. And so many people go through life and they have no idea about this stuff. They have no idea about what God's word says. So it says a little child will two things will play by the cobra's hole without danger. Also a child will lead the animals that were prior you know, in priorly they were vicious. And there's paintings and prints about this. Little children and all the animals are kinda hanging together. Um Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Okay, now here's the sad thing is that mankind is going to see these changes and there still will be a sin nature, there still will be rebellion against uh, a god, uh, uh, they will still be at some point later on tempted by Satan until God destroys Satan completely and casts him into the lake of fire. Again, we are a stubborn creature. I think of all the times I've been witness to as a young person and the draw of my lifestyle just... I was so interested, but I could just not make that leap. And then eventually I did. But so many, God put so many people in my, in my path. Okay, so my impression of the millennial kingdom in a lot of ways is a gradual situation, right? Now the, the animals start to change, the animals are in harmony with each other. Uh, eventually, God remakes the new heavens, right? The new heavens and the new earth. So you kind of see a slow progression when it comes to nature. It kind of reminds me of the time that Jesus in Mark 8, uh, there was a man who was blind and he touched him. And he says, what do you see? He said, I see men walking like trees. So there was, he's like, he got some of his sight back. He could see blurry images of people moving. And then uh, Jesus touched him again and he goes, I can see it clearly now. So you wonder, Jesus does everything perfect. Sometimes Jesus does things that are God does things that are gradual. And I don't have all the answers, okay? Uh, but the Lord knows what he's doing. Verse nine, we continue, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know what I love about this? The knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth. It's amazing no longer a need for apologetics and debating the media's false information about God. God will be right there. Who knows, maybe God will depose some of the anti-God uh, media people. They'll be like, nope, you're out. <laughs> Give me that camera, you're, you're out of here. Because everybody will know the truth about him. And again, you'll see a race of mankind that still is in rebellion against him until the final time and the final judgment. So it goes to show you folks that you know, people say, Sometimes we think in this country, let's just keep throwing money at a problem. And it doesn't solve anything. Billions, trillions, usually it ends up in a slush fund in some politician's pocket, money's missing, you know. But it it doesn't solve the problem. The answer, the solution is Christ. And that's the one thing that the UN and all these global elites, they don't want to hear about Jesus Christ. They want to keep throwing their wisdom their counsel, their money, their smarts at the situation, it's not going to fix anything. Verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner or an ensign, or a, a welcoming kind of sign to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So, Verse 10, uh, 3 out of 5, is that the Messiah's kingdom will be a utopia. It'll be glorious. It'll be attractive. It'll be something that the Gentiles even seek. Now, again, if you're a Jewish person reading this, you have hope. And you don't even know Jesus yet, because this is pre-Jesus. For us, we look back and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember reading about that. The Gentiles started flocking to Jesus. And, and the Jewish people were curious about that, because they were like, you're our Jewish Messiah. And Jesus says, I have sheep of another fold, he was telling his followers. I'm bringing everybody into the fold. So we can look back and see that fulfillment, but then we can also look forward and see the fulfillment in the case of the nations, the Gentile nations coming together. And I'm really excited about the end, how he remakes the landscape. And the bottom line is that when we go through life, there's only two choices. There's God or there's not God. There's heaven or there's hell. There's God's utopia, because that's what this is, or man's utopia, which is really a dystopia. Now, I I like to study civilizations. I like to study different forms of government, history. You can look at socialist experiments, communism, uh, remote civilizations, eastern compounds, even things that are are not Christian. And, And this is the sad thing. So I'm talking about the end times, and I'm talking about the Lord coming back. What did Satan do? He floods our culture with demon-possessed people who pretend that they're preachers, like Jim Jones. He led all those people in his, into Guyana and he had them poisoned. Oh, that's oh. When you talk about end times, you're one of those. Or David Koresh. Those guys are wackos. You know what I'm saying? God initially wanted us to understand eschatology. He wanted us to understand His return. But guys like that are weird. They have these like, secret societies and these compounds, and they're cloistered. So understand the difference. Even Scientology, which is really getting a lot of play in the news lately, is, is the, the religion of the Hollywood elites. People are missing. People have ended up dead. You know, Again, the, this has all ended up in dystopia. We either follow a utopia, which is God's, or a man's utopia, which turns... They've all failed. They've all failed, and I think it's sad too. Is that when believers kind of buy into this idea? And, and I got to be honest with you, in my immaturity, and this went on for a while. When I would hear about the second coming, I would be like, ah, I'd be uncomfortable because I was making money, and you know, I was raising my kid, and my wife, and married, and um, like I, I was moving. You know, I, I had Joe's own utopia going. So as much as I love the Lord, it took a while for him to... Yeah, Joe's Utopia. You don't want to be in Joe's Utopia, trust me. But (laughs) it it doesn't work. Nobody's utopia works. But the Lord slowly worked on my heart to, to say, you know, when I come back, you need to be settled with it. It took a while, but I got there. But there's some believers today that they're making good money, they're amassing degrees, they're amassing wealth, and they're making their own utopia. And they're not open to... God coming at any time, the thought causes them to cringe. Some people choose a church where the second coming is not spoken of. They'd rather hear some surface messages. Don't go too deep into the scripture because I'm not there in my life yet. Verse 11, we continue. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations, and will assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also, the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. So, four out of five is the culling the calling, the culling of Israel by the Messiah. Now remember, this is after his second coming. Um, The Israelites prior to 1948 were scattered, right? The the diaspora, when the Romans in A.D. 66 through 70 invaded, took down the walls of Jerusalem, uh, slaughtered so many people, and they scattered the Jews all around the world, pretty much. In 1948, there was a regathering. Israel becomes a nation again. And here's the interesting thing. A lot of people don't know this. They say, oh yeah, yeah, Israel, it's one nation. But only until you study Bible history do you realize that Israel was two nations. It was the northern kingdom, 10 tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, two tribes, okay? 12 all together. Uh, and when, when God allowed them to be brought back, there was no enmity between Ephraim and Judah. In other words, the north and the south. Ephraim was a dominant tribe, And that was emblematic or a picture of the northern tribe, and Judah was the southern. So today we have a united Israel. Fascinating. Christians reading this in 1940, and then 1948 comes around, they must have been, Christians must have been jumping up and down when that happened. Wow, Israel's, what, did you hear? Yeah, Israel became a nation. Was it May something? Pretty impressive. God's word is always true. Doesn't matter where we are in, in history, right? This is my conjecture. My conjecture is in Zechariah twelve, you know the Messiah returns, the second coming, there's a, a national repentance. The Israelites look at him on whom they pierced. I mean this is all in the Old Testament, very powerful. They mourn for him, um, you know we, we, we didn 't accept him for so many years, so in, in our future, Lord 's going to come back there's going to be this incredible national repentance, and then w- the way I read the scripture is. Little by little, because remember, even today, there's a lot of Jewish people in Israel, but they're not. there's a lot of people, Jewish people here in Europe and in, in different places in the world. So what ha- what's going to happen is little by little that God's going to call His people, call and call, and He's going to gather them from all around, and little by little, they're going to start trickling into Israel. They want to see the Messiah reigning in Jerusalem. Wow, this is exciting. So it's going to be a really neat time. Verse 14, last few verses. But they shall fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay their hand on Edom and Moab. And these is the, the surrounding regions of Israel. And the people of Ammon shall obey them. This is Jordan and other areas that we know part of these countries. We, we know their names. Uh, the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With his mighty wind, he shall shake his fist over the river, understood as the Euphrates and strike it in seven streams, and make men cross over Dryshad, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people, who will be left for Assyria, as it was for Israel, in that day that he came up from the land of Egypt. Five out of five is the Messiah's administration. Right? Israel will finally realize her borders, her true borders. Now, We've been going through, I've been going through the Kings and the Chronicles uh, on Wednesday nights in the Old Testament, and the Jewish people just got tired of war. They got tired of, you know, sometimes they get tired of having God tell them what to do. I'm just going to be frank. And sometimes as Christians, we have to check ourselves because God's telling us what to do. He's making it clear, and we just want to do our own thing. So the borders of Israel, because they weren't completely faithful they weren't completely recognized, but here they will be, and that's impressive. So, along with the reformulation of the animal kingdom, God's going to do some things in the geographical world. If we could put up that map, and basically today, or you know, you got the, the, the you know, the river of, of Egypt, the Nile. Um, you can see the. Where it is today, it really hasn't changed in all these years. Same thing with the Euphrates. Now this is interesting because the Assyrians, right? if anybody wanted to come from this area to go west, they never went due west. And the reason is, if you know your geography, this was and still is the Syrian desert. It's a very harsh wasteland. So even conquering nations, when they would get to Judah, they wouldn't go this way. They wouldn't go through the desert. That's as suicide. They would go up the, uh, the Euphrates River. There was water, there was lush uh, you know, vegetation, and then they would make their way south, southwest. It was a longer way to travel, but it was a lot safer. So it took longer to conquer, but it was the smarter way to go. What the Lord is saying is that here's, here's Judah, here's Jerusalem, and here's where Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron when he comes back. You know, it's funny. People think, oh, the Bible is a fairy tale. Seriously, when you really start studying it, there's so much detail in this. Liars never put detail in anything because detail is what kills liars. You find the inconsistencies. So here you got Jerusalem and there's going to be a future time where God's people are in, they're in Africa, the continent. And he's going to get them to come east. He's going to do something with this river and this river because God's people are also here. They're in India. They're in Asia. And when they come west, he's going to shake his fist over the Euphrates and split it up into seven streams. Now that's going to do a few things. Probably, as it, and this is my conjecture, as it spreads out, it's going to take the desert area and now hydrate it so there'll be vegetation. So maybe you just can cross west. Number two, if you've got sandals on or you're poor, you can make your way across it. Like to, Now you can. not You need some type of craft to get across. Or, um, so whether you're coming from uh, west to east or, or east to west, God is going to set it up so, that it's easier that somebody can just walk across and make it to Jerusalem and say, Ah, oh, I'm finally here. I just couldn't wait to see the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, it's not just, um, you know, him coming down from the heavens. And, and again, we see his modus, his, his MO, so to speak, in that respect. But we also see um, how he gathers people to come and make it easier on land to get to see him. That's our God, right? You don't have to have a private jet or, you know, have public transportation. You could just come on foot. And I think uh, another thing that we should be careful of and look at is, remember, a lot of churches aren't teaching eschatology end times. We do. And it takes a little while to digest it because it's very different than what we're experiencing now. And uh, my concern is that the church desires to really know their their word. Because I see... (laughs) whether it's Facebook or any of these chat sites or even some Christian periodicals online in the comments, how Christians are being duped into following this global system, the global elites. Their job, the United States is in the way, by the way. Our Second Amendment is a problem, a lot of our free speech, a lot of our sovereignty. There's a, a big movement to get everybody on board to this global system, and we are in the way. And I'm telling you, Satan is pulling out all the stops. He's dividing us by culture, by ethnicity, by all these things. And the design is to, just like in Cuba, is to knock it all out and start it up from the ground up so that we can be on board with this global system. What some believers don't know in their ignorance is that they're following things and liking things that is pushing us to the situation where the foundation is laid for the Antichrist to come and take control. And it's not, I don't think it's malicious. I think it's just out of ignorance. This just something to look at. Because this is, this is very clear, very clear. And I think the blessing is that, I know for me, I haven't been in Isaiah in many years, so here I am now, I'm studying it, and I'm teaching it on a Sunday morning. I didn't realize how much Jesus was in Isaiah. You know what I'm saying? I'm really, really pleasantly surprised about this. Um, I don't remember every line of the Bible. I have a good memory, but not that, not that good. Uh, and I think the blessing too is that, is that we can follow flashy, exciting, surface. There's a lot of churches now, not only do they not teach eschatology, but they teach replacement theology where the church has replaced Israel and there's no place for her. So then when you read this, you get all confused. You know what I'm saying? But I think the cool, the cool thing is that when we get deep into the word, we understand what the reason for the season is. We get Jesus in great detail not only for the Jewish people, but for us when he returns. We, we know a little bit about what he's doing. So I just want to ask you to join me as we follow the Lord, as we follow his return, that we continue to live our lives filled with the Holy Spirit, that we shun the commercialism and the greed of this type of year, and we'll be the level-headed ones that will be able to impart wisdom. Remember, the sevenfold spirit of the Lord, that's available to us. Right to hopefully bring some people across the threshold. Right, even Jesus said in the first century, kingdom of heaven is 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 being crowded into, right? Because it, what he was doing, he was open up this he opened up this portal so to speak that nobody could see, where souls were flooding into the kingdom because of his message of salvation. And folks, in any era, we have the power to do that, and that's truly the reason for the season. Let's pray.